Would you look at that? We made it! Made it all the way to episode 100 of the House of L podcast. Yes! I don't know if this was an actual goal that I set out for when I started the podcast almost two years ago. But round numbers are cool, right? And this is a really fun episode for me because it brings along my best friend, Afia Owusu, to the party. It's You're going to adore her, I hope, because I know that I do. I mean, I, honestly, I don't care if you do because she's great. But let me just tell you that the reason why she's episode 100 is because she kind of helped in the birthing of House of L. She took me to some super, like, fancy place on the north side. I forgot the name of it, but it was super fancy. And we were sitting there, and I was like, you know, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. And I was thinking I would just do, like, one episode a month, and then I thought, well, I know a lot of people in media that I want to talk to for this podcast, and... She was extremely encouraging, as she often is when it comes to any sort of thing that I want to do. So she said that she should have been episode one. And she's probably right that she should have been episode one. I look at it this way. I have uh, a, a more perfected product now at episode 100 than I had at episode one, which was a pilot. And I'm happy that my friend Jason Benetti did that episode, and if you want, you can go back and take a listen to that episode with Jason Benetti. But I'm glad that Afia is going to be episode 100. And it's not totally just a look at me episode, because Afia is the executive producer of The Jam at WCIU, and before that, she was a producer over at Channel 9, and before that, she was a producer at Channel 7, and before that, she was a producer at Channel 9 and, and CLTV, She's done all sorts of stuff in her career. It's one of the it's one of the things that draws us to each other. Like we have very similar drive and she has a, a real passion for this business. She's also damn good at her job. So I was happy to have her on. There's a there's so much stuff in here. A little bit of it is inside, but I think that we share some of the inside stuff with you in this episode. She's one of the most talented people that I know. And right now, she is trying to produce a show. The Jam is still doing their show, but obviously, like she's got to get everyone from a bunch of different houses and put it together and put together a TV show every day. And they they run the jam on the Facebook page. And it's been impressive. Like, that crew that, that she has over there with John and, and Felicia and Amy, my man BP, Brandon Pope, they're, they're doing it. So I'm glad that, that we got a chance to sit down and talk. It was also therapeutic, considering all the stuff that all of us are trying to deal with in the, the new normal that were hanging in, it was good to sit and talk with my friend and just kind of be with her. So we were doing this on Zoom so we could see each other. Basically, what you're going to hear is what 
a brunch is like with me and Afia. That's part of the reason why the episode is so long. This is what it's like when we get together and talk. But, I mean, there is some interviewing that I do in here because there are questions that I haven't asked that I want asked. And because she's so good at what she does professionally, I want to pick her brain on a bunch of different stuff that goes on inside the industry. And you're going to find out, if you're interested, you're going to find out a lot more about me in this episode because of her. If you go back to episode 69, the one I titled Black Like Me, I was talking about Afia. I was talking about her family. I was talking about her mom's funeral and what that was like for me as a black American to go to a very African funeral and what that feels like and what that what that was like for me to kind of sit there. So we go into depth on that. It's great. She's just one of my favorites. Like there's there's no denying it. And I imagine that when you listen to it, you'll you'll understand why and under and she'll probably be one of your favorites too. And if you're wondering, like, ah, you said her name, but I'm looking at the spelling. Yeah, her name is Afia. She she explains this. And I'm sure that those of you who are immigrants can probably Speak to people saying your name wrong, spelling your name wrong. So I hope it hits you on those levels too. Episode 100 of the House of L podcast goes to my best friend and one of the inspirations for the podcast, the fabulous Afio Wusu. Hi. Hi. How are you? How are you? Are All you right. going to be doing... This is just audio, right? Yeah. I'm like, I don't need makeup on. My hair's not done. Um, I'm so tired. Yeah, well, I can imagine that you're very tired. Right <laughs> it's been, it's been, you know, trying to make a two-hour television show into a, something that works for social media. It's been quite How, interesting. How's everyone handling it? Uh, good. Like we just finally got into a rhythm, you know, uh, I'm not going to lie. The first couple of days were rough. Um, I've been trying to figure out a way for us, as I was telling you over text to do like a show live and, um, uh, none of the big bosses have, Oh, hold on. I got to figure out how to turn this off. I don't know how to turn mine off either because my, like my actual computer is on mute, which is so funny because I'm like, why is the sound happening with these bad uh, emails coming in? I, I mean, like people are emailing me out the wazoo. I mean, I don't think I've ever had this many emails or been in this many meetings. Um, in one week, it's it's been crazy. How are you? How's how how are you guys? Well, we're we're all right, actually. It's it's weird because. Radio itself kind of lends itself to this where we've pretty much made it so that I can go into the studio and I'm by myself anyway, but we change things up where we usually do show transitions. Yeah. And we just got rid of that. Like it just, and so we're operating like 
an old school radio station. Like one show stops and then the next show there's a break and then the next show comes in and starts. So it's been good because Mitch and, and I talked a little bit about like, well, how do we make all this work? And so I said, it'd be nice to be able to clean the studio before I got in there. Okay. And so he built it into the clock and just okay. said that every show has to end 10 minutes before what? it would yeah. end. And then, you know, you, you replay something from earlier in the show and then there's a five minute break okay. and it's, it's worked out actually really well. Like my interaction with people has been minimal, which okay. is good, which is exactly what it's supposed to be. That, that is good. That is good. Um, a little jealous. That is good. Cause I, um, miss my studio. <laughs> I miss like walking in and seeing, you know what I mean? Like I just, I miss the normality. No, you're a hundred percent right. Like honestly, Saturday and Sunday were the hardest for me because I wasn't working at all. And okay, yeah. and so trying to figure out what all of this stuff was going to look like was uh, difficult. And then Monday, once we kind of knew what the guidelines were, like that became an easier thing for yeah. me knowing that it was it was kind of how things were back when I started at the score where it was once that one show finishes the next show comes in and then you it's weird because the score is in some of the other bigger markets mm -hmm. like WFAN every show has its own studio okay so you would transition with other shows but you had your own studio GN is like that too where they kind of rotate studios around so you um, have two studios so from the radio perspective you mean yeah or? yeah radio okay. so there's one studio the, the the air studio and then it flips to whatever the next show is in another studio prepping and i actually really like that too but that that's a engineering situation and we've already built out our space so it's, that's not something that's going to change okay okay yeah, it's just it. It I think for us, what, what was difficult was trying to really see how, um, how things were going to manifest, right? Because you know, you tell I, I've got a team of thirty-seven people, so they have to do something, you know. So trying to explain to people, like, you know, show me what your perspective is like, document that, but also create original content. Mm -hmm. Try to find people that you can interview. Um, one, it was surprisingly overwhelming how many people went to the task you know, and actually did stuff. So that was comforting. But then you have this onslaught of information coming at you. And you know, what would work on air doesn't always translate in television. I'm sorry, television doesn't always translate into social media. Yeah. So, you know, you can't have a 20 minute interview that's going to play. It, it has to be incredibly compelling for someone to sit and watch. And even if you're in quarantine, and you have that time, you're not, you know, adapt to that. So um, you know, we've got editors, we've got our graphics team, we've got everybody working, but they're also not working on the high powered machines that you would be in the station, right? So trying to upload video. So like your interview, for example, you know, that was 20 minutes long. Yeah, I talk too much. Uh, but no, it's fine because like, I, I know that you guys were gonna have an engaging conversation and that's great, but the time it took to load, right? And then to download for an editor to cut those into bits and bytes and, uh, you know, allow us to kind of carry that for the next week or so, um, is just so much more time consuming than we anticipated, right? And there was kind of this idea of, okay, this could happen. And I thought we'd have some time to really kind of plan it out. But um, 
you don't realize how connected some parts of um, the business side of what we do are until something like this happens, right? And you have to figure out what are the most important, like essential roles and how do you protect those people so that the business stays afloat. Um, uh, so what we're doing on social media is my own challenge, right? To myself, to my team, um, to see like what, how, what can we do? How can we provide a service to not only our viewers, but to Chicago and the sub surrounding suburbs and Northwest Indiana as a whole, because um, we've never been in something like this, right? And so to know that there are people who care and are trying, you know, even while they're at home to keep you, you know, up to date, um, I find that to be comforting. You know, I look at some other, you know, stations whose pages have been dormant because they're not on air and it's like, okay, well, yeah, you might not be a news program, but neither are we, you know, but we're still trying to facilitate content for people and make people aware of some options. Like Jets just sent me a really nice note in, um, about some work we've done with them in the past. And they're like, can you help us? We've got all these positions open for delivery drivers. Um, can you help us get the word out? And can you let people know that if they work in the service industry, we're giving them 30% off. And I'm like, absolutely. Because there's so many people right now who need a job, right? Yes. Um, and who, or want a discount because they are not working. And so it's like anything that I can do to use the platform that I've been given, you know, um, I want to absolutely do to help. So it's been uh, such a mind blowing and humbling experience. Um, and then it also just kind of shows you like when you foster relationships with people, how um, that transpires later on, right? Because the Jets promotion thing that we did was like National Pizza Day a couple months ago. Um, you know, just a little bit um, and how my team treated them when they were in studio. We had to cut them for time too. And so what we ended up doing on social with them, like all of that, they felt so so much gratitude towards that they then came to us with this opportunity. They very well may have gone, you know, to other entities as well, but um, it just was nice. The note that she sent leading into, here's what I'm asking you to do. Um, and I always try to share those with my team because I think sometimes when you're in the mud, uh, and you're walking through it, it feels like you're drowning, right, every day. And then you get that kind of note that kind of gives you the motivation to keep going because, oh God, we can talk all day long. Let me know when you're ready to start. Because I, I feel like this is this should be in it. I'm already uh, recording, so oh, okay. I'm, 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 keep, I'm keeping all of this stuff because this is good. Like, uh, I, I can tell you from, from the radio standpoint, it's – one of the things I've always liked about radio and one of the things I like about it versus television is the, the intimacy of it. Mm -hmm. And it plays out in times like this where I kind of needed the audience and the audience kind of needed me for yeah. a sense of normalcy because you, you in some cases in, in radio, like you live in their head, like you're the yeah. person that they're driving to work or from work or to pick up the kids or or whatever it is that they're doing. So I, I found it um I found it really comforting for me to be able to kind of go back to the studio and do stuff. And you're right. What I've been impressed with with our industry overall is we've been tasked to get creative. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think we're doing a good job of of getting creative on some of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's a very fine balance, right? Because um, from a television pers perspective, you uh, are competing against so much, right? Uh, there's so much access to information. 
So the way social media has changed the way we consume news, but also share it has been, you know, somewhat detrimental. I mean, look at newspapers, right? Uh, and so now, as much as people were complaining about quote unquote the media, which drives me insane, um, we're also the, the source people run to for that information. So how do you um, disseminate all of this content to people in a way that is engaging? And um, one of the things that I've been trying to do since I took over the jam is to have conversations. Because I think when people are watching the news, it feels a lot of times like they're being, oh, why can't I turn this off? It feels a lot of times like they're being, um, it's, it's gonna drive me insane. And I, you know, I keep everything on silent to the fact that I cannot figure it's, it's out. It's gonna keep happening and it's totally well, fine. It's, it's gonna happen on my end too soon. That'd be insane. Um, but the fact that like, um, you know, people are, are looking for this information. Uh, but they want to feel like they understand it. And that's the that's the difficulty in having like, sometimes when people are almost like too smart for their own good, that when they're having a conversation with you, they're using big words and they're um, they're talking at you. They're not, you know, having a conversation with you. They're not breaking it down. So I always look for guests. Um, I look for doctors. I look for experts who can really break things down in a way that I understand, right? Like I'm a grown woman, right? I've got a college degree. Um, I have a job, I, you know, I'm paying my own bills and things, but I don't always understand my 401k and I don't always understand my health insurance. So I need someone who's going to explain that to me in a way that go, that I'm like, oh, okay, let me go check and see if I have that thing. Not someone who's going to use like the big words or speak to me in like, you know, official language. In jargon. Yeah. Yeah. And that jargon. Thank you. I can't figure out the word. Um, because you lose the you lose your ability to to keep the viewer engaged, which is why I think people turn to social media because you can get that information in such a small package, right? Um, a, a tweet, um, uh, an Instagram post um, gives you that information in a way that you know we have not been able to provide people. I think until this moment, because it's forced me to take a two hour show and look at how I can package it in ten minutes uh, in a social media platform right and that's also even breaking that 10 minutes up should we be live the entire 10 minutes with um news and weather uh do we put a kicker in like and then trying to determine too like the the, the mood of everything because in some places it's, it's worse than it is in others right so unfortunately we've had one death in chicago um so for us it, it maybe hasn't felt as severe as the people who are dealing with it in in california or uh, in San Francisco or even Washington, right? Where there's like someone dying every like 10 or 20 minutes, it feels like. Um, so if we did a bit, is that insensitive? Is that is that um, out of touch? Or do people just also need to laugh, right? It's almost kind of what comedians went through after 9-11, right? Trying to figure out when to be funny, when to be human again. And um, I think to stay true to who we are as humans, but also stay true to the branding and the, and the, the identity of that I'm trying to build with the show is all of that, right? Is that we're gonna have these moments where we're gonna be funny and we're gonna have these moments where we're gonna be serious and uh, we're gonna be flawed because that's who we are as humans. Um, I, I don't know, you can speak to it. When you come into my studio, I want people to feel comfortable. And I want them to feel like when they sit down in that chair, they're talking to friends, even if it's the first time that you've met my team. Because if you're not having to be Lawrence Holmes or you're not having to be that, that celebrity, but you can actually sit down and be yourself, uh, there's an experience that you get that makes you feel like um, almost like you're at home. 
and I, and I feel like when people turn on the TV, they're letting us into their homes. So we have to do everything we possibly can to make them feel um, like they're our friends and, you know, and that we understand them and we know what they want and what they need. Sorry, I'm also searching how to turn off sound and mail. That's okay. I, I completely You're get that. <laughs> What's the feedback been like from, from your viewers? You know, I was just, I just got off a call with my team um, and it has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, so many people telling us thank you because we're in our homes, right? And it's very evident, especially when you see our hosts, uh, you know, as Amy's like toddler twins are running behind her at times that, you know, we have taken time out of our day that we're taking this serious because obviously our show runs from 6 a.m. to uh, 8 a.m. But we've been putting up content all day which means we're out of our normal hour, operating hours, right? And so people have been very grateful for that. Uh, people have enjoyed the conversations. They've enjoyed the levity. Uh, they've also enjoyed the serious news and how we're packaging it. Uh, and so that's been really encouraging. But it, it was also funny to see the amount of, excuse me, um, the amount of like bigger, higher ups in the company who typically don't engage with us, engage with us, um, to see that content too, to see how it's like, playing out. Um, that's always comforting when, when the people you least expect are telling you, you know, good job. But when your viewers are taking time out of their day to send you notes or suggestions, or um, if you're looking for someone, you do a call out and they're like, hey, this person does that, or, you know, talk to this person. It's great. And that's a, it's a great feeling um, that we don't always get when we're in studio. How'd you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Um, you know, it's so funny because my parents are from Ghana, right? And so I think every uh, immigrant has this goal that their child be a doctor. And that is what I wanted to do so bad. I wanted to be an OBGYN. And I studied it from, I mean, the, the time that I was able to read, uh, my parents would take me to the library. I would check out these books and I would trace the pregnant belly and I would learn all of the organs. Um, and so everyone in my family knew that I wanted to be um, a doctor. They knew I wanted to deliver babies. And then I was 15, getting ready to turn 15. My sister's best friend, my sister's um, six years older than me. And so at this point, my sister's getting ready to graduate um, high school. And, um, oh no, sorry, she's getting ready to graduate college. Um, I, um, my sister's best friend was working for Comcast. They used to have a brick and mortar um, they still do, but it, it doesn't operate the same way. They used to have a brick and mortar in Romeoville that you could go to to pay your bill or trade in your cable box. And uh, they had a television studio inside and they would do like Comcast sports stuff from there. Um, but they also had this television show called Teen Talk that was designed just for teens and it was put on by teens. And so they were running the board, they were doing cameras, they were doing the lighting, they were editing, they were hosting, they were also the guests. And so she um, had worked on this show while she was in high school. And as a, a college student, she was now executive producing it while, went, while going to Columbia. And she needed a guest for, I can't remember what the topic was. I think it was like teen pregnancy or something, right? And so, you know, I've always been outspoken. Um, and so she messaged me and said, hey, can you come do this? Can you be a guest? We had somebody to drop out. So I was like, sure, no problem. Um, and so I, I, my dad dropped me off uh, at the Comcast station uh, right off 53. Um, so like if you're familiar with Bolingbrook, Romeville on 53, you take it all the way down. It ends at Joliet Road. And there used to be a skating ring and a McDonald's right across there. And then the Comcast was like right behind the McDonald's. 
uh, it's like this really shady industrial park where like there's like one street light and um it's just like a brown building that didn't really say Comcast on it too, you know? So it looks like you're just gonna go, I used to call those like rapist den, it looks like you're just gonna walk in there and never come out. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, my dad drops me off, true to my dad's style, like drops me off, doesn't even look to see if I'm like making it into the building safely. Cause in my dad's eyes, like he came to Ghana at 18, from Ghana at 18 and he survived, I'll be fine. So um, I walk in and I'm just in awe of the television studio space, right? Uh, seeing the light, seeing the set, meeting all these people who are a little older than me or my age doing this, you know, and I'm just a guest at this point. And so after they have like their like team to scrap meeting and I was hanging around because Melody was gonna drop me off at home. And uh, Mark, who was one of the, like, he worked for Comcast. So he was kind of like the executive, executive producer, uh, kind of saw me in the corner just watching. And he walked over and he's like, would you be interested in volunteering? And I was like, absolutely, right? But I don't have a car at this point. I don't. I can't drive, um, so I don't even know like how I'm gonna get here every uh, week because if they met, they would have like meetings on Mondays. I think they reported on Wednesdays. I can't remember 100%. Um, but I just went. I remember going home and telling my parents that I had so much fun that I was gonna volunteer. And so I started volunteering and I hosted like right off the bat. But I was really interested in production, and I wanted to learn the behind the scenes aspect. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons, because I've always been of the mindset, um, I'm very creative, sometimes to the detriment. Um, and I wanted to know how to do things so that nobody could tell me I couldn't do something. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So they would say like, oh, you can't put this shot and that shot together. It just wouldn't work, right? I wanted to, to, to learn camera operating so that I could do those shots. I wanted to learn lighting uh, in particular because growing up as, um, the child of African immigrant, dark-skinned girl in a predominantly white suburb. Uh, you know, skin. My, I did not. I was not in love with my skin at the time, right? And so, anything I could do to to highlight myself better, to 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 look better on camera, especially we talk about public access television too, right? Every all the equipment isn't great, and thank God they weren't in high def. But uh, knowing that if I wore brighter colors, the way the light would shine on me would be better. I wouldn't look. Um, haggard or pale or kind of just washed out. Um, having a, a good understanding of what it meant to TD versus direct, what it was like at the time it was Chirons, that's how old it is. And we were doing tape to tape. So, uh, you know, sometimes if, and everything we shot was live to tape. So if we would mess up, uh, you know, knowing that if we were gonna have to edit this, we had to be very careful because there it would bring a jump cut. So learning all those techniques and terms and um, positions, I just was, obsessed with it that I went home and I told my parents that I um I was 15 I said I wanted to become a journalist and my dad was so angry you know he was very angry and um he was just like you're never gonna make any money I'm not gonna pay for you to go to school um you know why would you do this and my mom was like maybe you're just in a phase type thing and I was like no this is kind of really what I wanted to do and they saw how committed I became to the program um, and so I did it all through high school. And there's so many people who uh, joke, like when I went to my high school reunion, my tenure a couple, 10 years ago, they were all like, every time we saw your phone number call us, we knew you were calling because you needed a guest for Teen Talk. Um, and the way I would just kind of network at school and find out what people were interested in and try to make you know topics out of what was happening to in our lives, 
um, that it was really just humbling when our show got nominated for an Emmy, for a regional Emmy. And then to have won an Emmy at 16 um, was just kind of mind blowing, right? Because uh, as a whole, you know, the, 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 the Mark and Melody, who are the ones who kind of like, you know, submit the paperwork and all that, you're still part of the cast and the crew. And so knowing that your work, that, you know, the episode you hosted or the episode that you directed um, played into winning that uh, was such like an even more like cement that this is what I needed to do. And then I just kept meeting people who were putting me in positions to succeed. So I always tell people like my career trajectory is not me. It's completely God, right? Because um, I graduated high school. Um, I was involved in so many things that they created a scholarship just for me, right? And I joined all these organizations because I wanted a car. And I figured the only way I could get a car is if I joined so much, my dad would be so tired of dropping me off places that he would get me a car. Smart. Um, yeah, because I worked, you know, I was in high school working, um, but my parents wouldn't let me touch the money. My mom made me put all of my money in a, an account with her. She was like a conservator over it. And I couldn't take any money out. So um, I used to tell them that I wanted to save up to buy a car. But I knew that if I, I could like Jedi mind trick my parents, I could say, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, <laughs> but if I joined all of these organizations, like I was in the yearbook, I was in like choir, even though I like I never, you know, can't sing. Weren't I you the mascot of the the teams? Yes, I ended up doing that as a bet, um, because no one thought we our mascot, Bolingbroke High School Rowdy Raider, was like dormant for years, and I did it as a bet, and I did it during football season, and I guess they liked it so much that the athletic director came up to me, who was also the head football coach, and asked me if I would do it full time, um, and so I did it during. Uh, football and then um, basketball season, but it was difficult because the time I was playing basketball and it was horrible, so horrible, but I didn't make it my junior year to the team. So I ended up doing um, the mascot thing full time. Ended up getting a stipend for it. They gave me $500, um, right? So wow. it was it was crazy. I ended up getting, like I, and I was just doing it to be, you know, funny. And um, the funny thing was because like the head was white and I tried to wear like, a pirate looking or a raider looking costume that I just bought like black pants and a white shirt. I wore white gloves to try to hide the fact that my skin was different from the face that every time I would raise my hands, you could see the little black skin. And so um, our principal used to call the football games and he asked the crowd one year, Hey, does anybody know who Rowdy Raider is? And I kid you not, I kid you not, Lawrence. Everybody was like, Oh, and I was like mortified because I was like, oh, I didn't think anybody really knew, but like my core group of friends, but I ended up uh, being voted most school spirit. Um, it's funny too, because I won a bunch of superlatives in high school and then the yearbook, uh, the chair, the teacher said it was unfair. And so she took some of them from me. I remember being very upset by that. Um, and I like still kind of salty about it. Um, yeah, but anyway, so uh, I, I, by the time I got to like graduate and was going to college, I didn't want to go to college because I thought, um, you know, I didn't really need to. Everyone that I had met who worked in television just through like friends and people who would come to Comcast for other uh, shows didn't have a college degree. And so I was like applying to University of Hawaii, University of California, all these far out places, right, under the guys that I... Um, you know, my parents weren't going to let me go out of state. 
and I applied to a school in Florida uh, and I got in and they let me go. And I was like, oh crap, this didn't, this Jedi mind trick didn't land, right? And so growing up in Bolingbrook, Illinois, my, my graduating class was 365 people and I knew all of them. Most of them I had met either in first grade or sixth grade. So it was such a small group of people. And so um, I went to University of Central Florida for my first year. Um, and to say that it was overwhelming uh, being on a campus that is large. Isn't it the largest like public university in the country? Uh, no, no. I think it is. I think I, I think I'm UC sure Gateville is bigger. I know. I think UCF is the largest one in the country. Uh, they keep talking because you know they they talk a lot of shit about how they deserve the national championship over Alabama uh, mm. a couple years ago. So everyone knows. I think I I'm, I'll look it up, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that UCF has the most students out of anyone in the country. It was overwhelming. I can imagine. Um, and you know, people think I'm an extrovert, but I'm really an introvert. Uh, I'm animated. So I think that gets confused for being an extrovert. Right. I think when you know me, I can be talkative, but I'm very much an an introvert. Uh, but so my first year of going to school that summer, I tore my AC, uh, my MCL. And so I was on crutches (laughs) when I went to school. Um, so it was overwhelming and I was also interning at Disney. Um, and so it just, there was a lot going on and I couldn't uh, process it. And so I, I came home and my parents made me go to- uh, See, that one was mine. That, no, that one wasn't, that was a spam filter. Um, but my parents made me go to community college and I was so mortified, right? I was embarrassed because I'm like, how did I go from being you know, this person who everyone thought was like, gonna just do big things to now I'm at a community college. Uh, and my mom was like, you're going to go to COD, not uh, JC, because that's where a lot of people were going to from high school who either couldn't afford or, um, you know, just didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. My mom was like, go here, finish your gen eds, and then you can transfer to Columbia, right? So I was like, bet, that's what I'm going to do. So of course, I, I, I don't like idle time. So I joined like student government and all these like random organizations. And I met um, one of my mentors who put me in touch with the multimedia department at College of DuPage. And if you've ever gone to College of DuPage, it is the largest community college in the country, right? So I just went from going to what you just told me is the largest like public university to one of the largest community colleges in the country. So I just looked it up. UCF Uh has 69,000 students. University of Florida has 52,000. Students, okay, well, it, it is the largest public university in America. Yeah, so it was. Uh, so I went from the largest public university to the largest community college. And um, the, the beautiful thing about that, though, is that they have a multi-million dollar uh, multimedia department. And I uh, got connected with the man who ran it. His name was Kevin. We're still very good friends to this day. Um, and he taught me how um, the new wave of technologies. I started to learn the difference between linear and nonlinear editing. So remember, I'm a July baby, so I'm younger than everyone always. So now I'm uh, I'm walking into this situation where I'm av- editing on av- Avid um, before some you know college juniors or seniors are because I've already had this experience editing tape to tape, so I know the fundamentals of editing. Um, so I was helping them cut commercials and um, do shoots. 
um, as a freshman and sophomore in college. And so through him, um, I got connected uh, to uh, some other folks and I did the Disney college program. Um, and I started when I was doing that too, I was um, like, they had me working at Magic Kingdom, which I thought was just like not communications. I was working, taking tickets, right? And I started asking around like, how can I do something that is multimedia based? And um, someone put me in touch with uh, a guy who I still talk to, his name, his name is Dave, who was the head of um, MGM Studios at the time. And he was like, you can volunteer on my team, but I can't pay you, right? So you have to come to these shoots and stuff, but you can't let that affect your job at Magic Kingdom. So I'd wake up every morning at like five o'clock in the morning, I would take the bus um, from Kissimmee to um, Lake Buena Vista, which is where Disney is. Everyone thinks it's Orlando, but it's not. Um, I'm sorry, take it from Lake Buena Vista into Kissimmee. And I would um, volunteer with MGM Studios. And I got to work on the Melt campaign with um, the volleyball player. What's her name? Gabby? Gabrielle. Uh, yeah. oh, Super tall. She's married to the surfer. God, I used to love her too. So. Yeah. My sister was a huge fan and I got to work on her. Hold on, I'm trying to Google her. I'm like Gabby volleyball, <laughs> Gabby Reese. Gabby Reese. I got to work on her milk campaign. And that was like the coolest experience. Um, and I did a Nike commercial while I was there as well. Uh, and again, so now I'm 19 doing, you know, this type of work. So by the time I um, finished that program, um, I had decided um, because my I didn't want my parents to have to pay for my college education. It's such a big burden to place. And, you know, my mother had been sick my entire life, so she wasn't working. That was going to be something that my dad would have to do. Um, and one of my mentors from COD told me about um, uh, Southern because my parents told me I couldn't go back out of state. Uh, and so I didn't even visit Southern. I just applied, got in, and then my dad dropped me off. Uh, again, he was like, hey, okay, it's a five-hour drive, so I'm about to leave. So all these people's parents are, like, moving them in and taking them to Walmart, and my dad, like, gives me, you know, grocery money, and he's like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He told me I could only take what I could fit in my car, right? And at the time, I had an Acura 2.3 CL, so it's like a little two-door sporty car. And you know me, Lawrence, like, I can't even pack one suitcase, right? And so I had to fit all this stuff in the car, and so when my dad unloaded it, he was like, bye. So I had to hop on the bus uh, and try to get to the Walmart. And I thought on the way back, I'll call a cab, right? Because I have like a dustpan and garbage can and all these things. And I didn't know Carbondale was so small at the time that there were only two cab drivers and it's move-in day, you know? And so like everybody and their mom is trying, I mean, I was waiting for hours, for hours. And when he pulled up, he's like, yeah, I'm here for, like starts rattling off all of these names. And I'm like, all these people are not gonna be able to fit into your like Lincoln Continental, you know, with our stuff. And he's like, you can leave your stuff here. I'm like, how, you know? So I had to get back on the bus after waiting a couple hours with all this stuff. Um, but because I had transferred as a junior, I got to start right away in my, um, in my field and was light years ahead of a lot of my classmates. So I became someone that was like helping. Um, so I kind of enforced my love for coaching and teaching um, and so by the time, yeah, like my junior year rolled around, you know, I was working 
with River Region. And I had a lot of teachers who wanted me to be on air, but I just wasn't comfortable. Um, Why not? It takes a lot of self-confidence, right? To to put yourself on television, um, to be subjective to other people making comments about you. Or again, I have a very ethnic name. Uh, I did not grow up with a lot of um, outside enforcement about it, right? So my mom and dad would be like, your name's everything or you're pretty, whatever. But my parents were also very determined on us, my sister and I being American, you know, like that was why they came to, from Ghana to America. They wanted us to have every opportunity. And so um, while they would celebrate Ghanaian traditions and norms and, and do things, we were never really roped in to it. So um, and my parents treated Ghana like a third kid too, right? So as my mom was getting sicker, it's like Ghana always got everything. Like they were always shopping for the house in Ghana or they were always shopping for the business in Ghana. Everything was about Ghana. So it felt like Ghana was my like little sister, right? And so there, like a resentment builds there too. And then if you're going to get in trouble, oh, you get in trouble, we'll send you to Ghana. So it was just like, ah, okay. So there was a, an interesting um, relationship I had with Ghana until I actually got into like my junior year because um, actually when I was at COD for a brief time, I was president of the Black Student Union um, because why not, right? And um, we went to visit HBCUs. And that was really like an eye-opening experience for me because again, I grew up in a predominantly white suburb. Uh, my parents uh, did not grow up or were around here during the civil rights movement. So their narrative is of, of the black experience is very different. And having been born here, you know, you only know what you've been taught in school. And my neighbors, there were two neighbors right next door to us. We were all black. The three black people on our block lived literally right next to each other. The, the middle name. Hold that thought. A- I got a delivery. Hang on. Okay. Loho, I figured it out. Let's get my meds. Oh, I figured it out. You want to know how to turn them off? How? Okay, so go into. Are you on a Mac or a PC? I'm on a Mac. Okay, go into system preferences. Okay. Go to notifications. Let's see. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it should be top, like, right, maybe, if you don't have that many. Yeah. And then on the left-hand side are all your things. So whatever you click on, it's, like, the last one, it says, like, play sound for notification. So if you search for mail, uncheck play sound for notification. Got it. Done. Thanks for that. Yay! My mom would say, that's your college education. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go back to... Three black neighbors all living yeah. next to each other. Yeah, so this is a very long, convoluted way to tell you how I got into this. But, mother! <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? I just, uh, Google lied to me. Oh, man. Well, we'll see if it happens on mine, too. Uh, it's probably going to happen. And you know who's, <laughs> you know whose email that was? That was Brandon Pope. Um, yeah, so, no, long story short, um, we, I live next door to an AKA. Um, who would watch me when my, you know, mom was sick or if, um, you know, she had to run an errand or something. And then next door to her was my best friend, Brandy, who's uh, still one of my best friends to this day. And so um, my Black experience became valid through them, right? There's this clip that went went viral, I think last week or a couple weeks ago, this little Black girl who was like, she was getting her hair done and she was saying that she was ugly. Did you see that? No. Uh, Okay, I'll have to send it to you. It got it was heartbreaking, but it was also like I knew where she was coming from, right? But Bridget's mom and uh, Brandy's mom are always really good about 
reinforcing uh, that I my skin color was pretty, even though they were lighter. They were like your complexion. You know, my mom, my mom is dark skin. My sister's dark skin. Uh, my mom would be like, oh, don't worry about it. You'll meet people later in life who are going to validate that, right? Um, and I don't know if that's just like a having a, you know, the tough upbringing of being a foreigner, you know, or, or what, but um, my mom didn't see the, she, my mom was someone who's always about looking great, you know, and so she was always like, if you dress well um, and be well, like people are going to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it took a while for me to find this affirmation in my beauty. And so I couldn't see myself standing in front of a camera trying to, um, deliver the news or anything uh, confidently. I just couldn't. Um, And so I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Uh, And so I started exploring what producing would look like. Um, And then I realized I like to to be in charge. I I have an idea or a narrative that I wanna be able to see come to fruition. And it's hard to do as a reporter because you're oftentimes um, being moved around so much too. Um, I have such great empathy for my reporters, especially like when I worked at GN, um, when you're like doing news content. Um, I just, I know I would, I wouldn't have been good. You know, I'm a little too mouthy for it. Yes. Yes, you are a little too mouthy for it. It had been interesting to see some of those. Not that, that you didn't have debates with uh, news directors and executive producers in the past, but I would, I really do wonder what it would have been like if you would have been out in the field and had to do some of that stuff too oh do you know do you know marcella raymond i do she's one of my favorite people because i think she embodies like the mouthiness that i would have had where she will take uh, a lawmaker or you know some city official to task asking like no answer my question you know like i think that would have been me you know um if I had gone into reporting, I think I would have been that person. And some people like that and some people don't, you know? And it's, again, learning about cultivating relationships. Um, No one ever wants to, my intent is not to harm anyone or um, embarrass them. It's just like, I'm a very direct person and I've never um, had the time or energy to like kind of sugarcoat things. I've had to learn though, how to uh, manage and coach people differently because yeah, not directness doesn't work for everyone. And that took me a very long time um, when I was younger to understand. And now as an adult and now as an executive producer, I get it. And I'm having to remind, you know, my junior staff of that, the ones that I'm trying to affirm and, and build, hey, how you talk to, you know, person A is not how you can talk to person B because there's a sensitivity factor, there's a processing factor um, that is different. And even like when I started this job, I was, uh, you know, a little overwhelmed um, that I went to the HR director and I asked if we could just have weekly meetings for coaching because I wanted to be the boss that I never had. Um, There were mashups of different qualities and characteristics that I had from bosses that I admired, but, I, I found oftentimes that if I was good at something, because that meant they would have to replace me, my advancement was oftentimes um, not moving as fast as I would have liked it, right? Um, so when someone tells you you're of too great of a value to do something that would elevate your career because they need you in this one spot, that's not encouraging. Right. Um, and sometimes people can manipulate you to think it is encouraging. 
um, and I've never been someone who can, I, I have no patience. You know, my mom used to always tell me that too. Like, oh, you're the worst, you have no patience. But um, I find myself, I get complacent if I'm bored. And because I wanna learn how to do everything and kind of how to master these things that happens quickly. So I have to constantly challenge myself. Um, and in this role, like as we're talking about at the very beginning, I think that's kind of why I'm making my team do what we're doing because I'm challenging myself, and, but I'm also challenging them. You know, and I was telling one of our younger um, producers just this morning, I worked at CLTV when I first came back to Chicago in 2008. And that was my first producing job. I'd been directing when I was in Florida. I moved back to Florida, even though I hated it, right? Um, <laughs> I'd been directing when I was there. And I went from being an assignment desk manager to a camera operator to a director, only because I, I took the same principles I had when I was at Team Talk. I wanted to learn every position because if someone was gonna call in sick or someone was not gonna show up for work, I could say, I can do it because so-and-so had been teaching me or I'd been coming in on the weekends and learning. And that's honestly what happened. Um, you know, Kevin Agandi from uh, ESPN. ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with him at, uh, at WSB in Sarasota. I was his camera operator. And I'll tell you right now, the like first time I ran cameras and I messed up, he took me to task. But he also sat with me after the show to show me how things should be shot. And you can bet the next time I was running cameras for him, I didn't mess up his shot. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I take that stuff um, personal. I want people to always feel like they, when I, if my name is next to something, they trust it. They know it's gonna be good, right? Cause I won't settle for anything less than. Uh, and so I have to constantly remind my team like, hey, you know, I worked at CLTV uh, for two years before we moved over to WGN. And in that time, I learned how to write fast and efficiently. And that made me a sharper producer, a sharper writer, Sean Lewis, who I love dearly used to rip my scripts to pieces, right? But remember, I wasn't a writer, I was a director. I was an assignment manager, I was a camera operator. I did so much production, I hadn't done any of the news style production. So um, he would print out like sheets of scripts and you know show me what was wrong. And um, I would sit there, I would listen to him, I'd ask questions and then I would do it again and I would send it to him. And I have this binder, I still have it to this day um, with all of his notes and all of the little worksheets that he gave me. And every once in a while, I'll pull those out and I'll look through them to remind myself about um, some of those principles, those old school journalism principles. And whenever I get a young person who's struggling with their writing, I'll hand them that binder and I'll say, look through this and try to do some of these worksheets and send them back to me. And those that do, those are the ones that I know are gonna be in this business for a long time. Those that don't, those are the ones I know um, just wanna be on TV, right? They wanna do entertainment reporting or they wanna be a celebrity. And I try to explain to them, those jobs are so far and few in between. And if you can't get the basics down, it's gonna be very hard to move forward and become, you know, um, Nancy O'Dell or, you know, Sean Robbins. And you, they're not, those people don't retire from those jobs, right? Like Nancy O'Dell had to wait 22 years for Mary Hart to step down from, you know, well, not 22 years, probably had to wait like 10 to 15 years for Mary Hart to step down from um, Entertainment Tonight before she took over. And then she got what she thought was her dream job and it wasn't, you know? And so it's like, sometimes we, we put these, we put these, uh, these pressures on ourselves to do these things and not realizing like what, where the love is for what we're doing. Cause it's not easy. Uh, where the, 
last to be thanked. We're the first to be blamed. Uh, we work horrible hours. I moved four times in, uh, what, three years. Um, I worked weekends. I worked holidays. I've lost boyfriends. I've lost best friends. I've lost friends. Um, I've like missed out on so many family things because of the commitment it takes to advance in this business. Um, but there's also a detriment to that too, right? And I've learned that lesson and it took me, you know, working in this business for 24 years to realize that. Um, and, you know, some of my younger writers today were, were, I was writing scripts with them through Zoom, like how we're talking and we were in a Google doc. So you know how you can see when people are changing. So I was trying to show them how to pare down their script and they're like, you did that so fast. And I said, you have to remember, I've been writing for over 20 years now. You know, you are just out of school. I don't expect you to know how to do this out the gate. You know, and I think sometimes we, we put this unnecessary amount of pressure on ourselves because we're in such a go, 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 um, like fast paced industry that um, nobody takes the time to really coach and teach anymore. And so that's why I'm kind of like thankful for this quarantine time because I've had the ability to do that more with my team to really get them to think like, what's the value to the, the viewer? Larry Potter used to say that all the time to us. Um, and some people would find it annoying, but I, I took that to heart because why should I care, right? You put all this effort into to putting something on TV, but why should that person care about what you're talking about? Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I've always found myself to be in a position where there are people around who cared about me enough to, to teach and to show and explain. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I'm incredibly grateful for that. And so I feel like I owe that too, right? This is a really, really long way to answer your initial question. And I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry. That's the whole point of the podcast. Like there's, there's time. We have time. I did want to go back to something though, because if you look in an email, like any email from you, you put a pronouncer in yeah. for your name uh, and, yeah. and you were talking about whether it was the way you felt you looked on camera or people not knowing how to say your name how difficult is that to to grow up that way where you are the child of immigrants you are proud of your family's heritage but there's a disconnect sometimes with mainstream america learning mm -hmm. how to especially when it comes to african names i've i've found that to be something that that is is prolific where We'll do our best to try and figure out other people's names, but when it comes yeah. to African names, it, yeah. it, it it seems to to slow down. So what was that like for you? Um, you know, growing up in particular, it when there was a substitute teacher or even the first day of school, you know, because, you know, again, I was in such a small town that you know the people in front of you, so you know when they're getting closer to your name. And they would always pause. There'd be this pause. And there'd be a chuckle around me, right, of people knowing that it was my name. And you know, when I was little, I'd be so fast to rush and say what it was. As I got older, I would just sit in that uncomfortable silence with them. And because they didn't have a problem of saying, you know, you know, John Sikorsky's name or, you know, Peter Radakowski's name, but they had a problem saying mine. So I would wait in that uncomfortable silence. And then they'd go, you know, Afua or Fua, Wasu, and everybody would laugh or they would chuckle. Um, and then I would say, no, it's Afia Wustu. In my sophomore year in high school, I got in trouble. I got sent to the principal's office, principal's office because we had a substitute teacher 
who tried to tell me that my name could not be pronounced Afia because the U is not an E or an I. And I told her English wasn't the only language. And I got sent to the principal's office. So I'm sitting there when the vice principal walks by and she's like, what are you doing in here? Because again, I'm student class president. I am, you know, on all these committees and all these organizations. I'm a mascot, you know, she's like, what are you doing in here? And I told her what happened. And she, who, uh, her name is Patricia Clear. She's the mayor's wife. Uh, she probably doesn't even remember doing this, but she told me to go back to class. And she said, there's power in your name. Don't ever let anyone tell you how to pronounce your name differently than it's supposed to be pronounced. Go back and tell, you know, the substitute teacher that I said for you to come and sit down and that your name is pronounced the way you say your name is pronounced. And I was like, um, can you come with me? Because I feel like if I say that, it's not going to really go off, you know, the way that you're telling me, you know? So she like laughed and came with me and, you know, she didn't say anything. She opened the door and I walked back in and I was like, Miss Claire told me to tell you that my name is pronounced Sophia. Yeah. So I'm just going to sit down. And, you know, Miss Claire stood in the door and she closed the door and I took that with me um, the rest of my life. And I, I tell people, especially like when I just meet like young interns or something, if, there was an intern that Tyra and I were, uh, when I was at WGM, we were saying this girl's name wrong. So wrong. And she never corrected us until like the very end. And it made me so mad. And I told her that, I said, there's power in your name. Do not let anyone mispronounce it. You know, you were, you were that name was chosen for you for a reason. And um, your destiny is soaked in that. You have to, to be true to it. Um, and so when I graduated college, I had my, my counselor told me, you know, that because I was going into radio and television, uh, that I should consider changing my name because it would be very difficult for people to pronounce and it would possibly scare away, um, you know, news directors. And at the time, I really wanted to work in radio. Was, my, my passion had always been um, trying that side of things because I had, I don't have it anymore, but I had that sultry raspiness. Oh, you voice. still have it. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I do, but thank you. Um, that it was kind of like shell shocking. Right. And, um, I remember, uh, I had a roommate who was like, don't let that, you know, tell you like that. He was like, throw your, um, throw your pronouncer on there, on your, on your resume. So I went back to her and I was like, yo, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to change my name. I'm going to put my pronouncer on my resume. And if they call, that means that's the job for me. If they don't call, then I wasn't supposed to have that job. Again, because I feel like God has always put me in a position to succeed. So no matter what the challenges have been in my life, I've learned something that, that has made me either a better friend, a better sister, a better partner, a better boss. So if that job that I had dreamed about, like I had wanted to work for MTV for so long. Um, and when that opportunity came and I, as an internship, and I had already graduated college, it was like, there's nothing I can do to get that internship, right? I'm not going to register for school for one class to get the credit that I would need to take an internship in a city that costs so much to live where I couldn't, like that, that didn't make sense as a good opportunity, right? God wouldn't put me in a situation where I would be in debt before my career ever started to such a magnitude that's different than like, you know, taking out school loans to do this one job. Um, but I, continuously throughout my career have met people at MTV who have been either like fans of the work that I've done or um, have put me in a position to succeed uh, in the, you know, the current job I'm at. 
Um, so again, I think things just manifest differently than sometimes how we, we want them to. But my name, my sister has um, an African name too as well. And her name is pronounced Abana, but she pronounces it Abina because that's the way it's spelled, A-B-E-N-A. And everyone always calls her Abby. And so for her, it was just kind of like easy peasy. Um, but when your name is spelled A-F-U-A, and then your last name is O-W-U-S-U, all these like vowels are throwing people off and they don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but it's always really funny when I get into an Uber. Uh, if I'm in an Uber with someone um, who's not from America, or maybe they're not African, they can be like Russian or Indian. They usually pronounce my name right. Really? It, it's only, yeah, it's, it's, it's only, and that's, I think there for a couple of reasons. One, I think because people who are not from America tend to speak more than one language. Right, so they understand how um, letters or vowels, the sounds can change. But two, uh, Africans are everywhere, so they may have met um, an Athea from while they lived in Germany, or while they lived in London, or while they were in, um, you know, the Middle East. Because I had family there too, um, so it's very possible, right, that they've come across my name. The problem with my name is. It's spelled the Gahway, which is what my mom is, uh, tribe, but it's pronounced the Ashanti way, which is my dad's tribe. So that's also what confuses a lot of people because some Ghanians will, will call me Afwa, uh, and that's not how you pronounce it, it's Efia. Um, and so the English version is Afia. And so, uh, you know, you have people then who are like, how, why? And you choose your, as a, as a child, you take your father's tribe so I take my dad's pronunciation of it, not my mom's, even though it's spelled the way my mom's tribe does. So there's like there's such a crazy balance of it all. Do you think that your sister would freak out if I called her Abana? No, um, no, because a lot of people like who are African do, you know, um, and I think she just would know that I told you. Hmm. You know what I mean? She might laugh or chuckle, but I don't think she'd freak out. All right, good. I don't want her to freak out. I, I really don't. How do, how do you, how do you manage the tap dance of being the daughter of African immigrants and being very much American? Um, I don't think I do it well, <laughs> um, and it, it, it's and it's not until I'm in Ghana that I feel that way because I feel very American when I'm there. Um, even though both of my parents are from there, right? So my sister and I don't speak the language uh, fluently at all. Uh, I can I can do like simple phrases. I understand it fluently. So I can tell when I'm in the market and someone's like talking about me or they're trying to raise up the money. Um, I wish that I um, had a better or strong, it's gonna sound weird saying this because that tie is genetically strong, but I wish I had more of an emotional connection to it. And I think as I've been getting older and my sister and I have been visiting more now that, you know, my dad is there, um, that ties, that, that ties getting stronger. Uh, but it is hard because I don't always feel like I'm all American as well, because there's so much that I don't know about the black American experience. We didn't grow up eating soul food. Um, we didn't go to a, you know, a Baptist or, um, uh, a church that was like very boisterous and yeah, you know, Methodist church. Bombs. Yeah. Um, and so, and then like, you only know about the civil rights movement, what they teach you in public school. And so, 
you know, for one month, you focus on Martin Luther King Jr., Marian Anderson, Daniel Hale Williams, Mahalia Jackson, and maybe Malcolm X, right? And so those are the civil rights pioneers. You, you know that, you know, Bloody Sunday happened at Selma. You might know some of the names, but you know, Dr. King marched and that was it. And so um, every day, I feel like I'm learning more and more about what the civil rights mo movement was and what um, the disconnect is for African-Americans. Um, and I try to always bring my friends to events that like we have as Ganyan so that they can experience that, so that they can understand the culture. Um, but I'm not gonna lie too, there were moments too, like when the um, My Black is Beautiful Afrocentric movement was coming about and people were wearing like dashikis again and or wearing the Ankara dresses. It was frustrating because my parents would bring that stuff home for us. We would, like when I was in middle school, I'd wear it and then be made fun of, right? By black people who would say, oh, why don't you go back to Africa if you wanna do that or if you wanna wear your hair like that. I used to wear braids all the time. And then Brandy, you know, the singer wears braids and now everyone wants to go get individual braids. And it was like, but my entire adolescence, I got made fun of for that. Oh, you don't have hair or, um, you know, you can't do, you know, you weren't pretty because you did that, but then it becomes culturally accepted by, by pop culture, therefore it's cool. So that was kind of frustrating growing up. Now I just try, everything I can to give that experience to my friends who, who, who want to know where they're from, but don't, um, you know, like when Courtney went to Senegal and, you know, it was, um, really trying to embrace her roots and she threw this African party and I'm trying to get, let's give her a little heads up. Like, all right, I know you set the time at seven, but trust me when I tell you that they're not going to be ready for you until like nine, you know? And she's like, no, 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 it's at a restaurant. And I'm like, baby, I'm telling you, I mean, and I, I, I tell you this all the time. Uh, I felt so bad that I didn't warn you about like my mom's funeral party that like, please don't show up at seven because this is not about to start getting cracking until like 11. You know, like it just, it slipped my mind. And my sister was like, you didn't tell him? And I was like, dude, Abby, when I tell you, I didn't even think about it because it just, it's what we do, right? So when you make fun of me being late all the time, like it's not purposeful. It's just so innate, you know, um, and what, the culture that it, it's like not funny but funny but yeah it's just so innate that um those little things you know you can laugh about and show people um that side uh but it's i mean our food is great our music is great and you see how it influences um not just black american culture but like all cultures right and and that it's it's cool to know that to to have that power um and to have that feeling but then when i'm in ghana i feel like um I'm not also good enough, right? Because I don't speak the language fluently. I don't know how to get around there because um, I didn't go to Ghana. I mean, I went to Ghana when I was like a three. But I don't really remember. You, you see pictures and you think you remember. But I didn't go back till I was 28. You know, and at that point, half, you know, of your family is, is aged out or you've got cousins you don't know. You know, my dad's the eldest of 20. My mom was the youngest of eight. There are so many people that I don't know. Um, but a lot of them who are in the UK together or who are in Ghana together are thick as thieves. And then you roll in and you're completely different. You sound different. You act different. Um, you don't speak the language. You don't eat all of the food. So there is that disconnect. So sometimes I feel like I'm just in this weird murky space in between. And some of my friends who are first gen, um, Asian, 
Mexican, Croatian have said the same thing. So I know it's not just unique for the Black experience, but, but for you know their experience as well, especially my Chinese American friends um, who don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese, they've, they've felt that. Um, you know, especially if they're not good at math or science and they, they're not doctors and lawyers, you know, their parents have made them feel as being failures, even though they're successful in their own industries. And so that I take a little bit of comfort, right? That I know it's not singular. Um, my sister and I have never really talked about it, so I'm not quite sure how she feels. Uh, but that that's definitely what my experience has been. I was so honored to be early at at your your mom's party. You know, it it, it was it was weird for me, and I did a whole episode of the podcast on it. Yeah, it was beautiful, and I appreciate you doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, it it was. I've always found that there, in my experience, let me not generalize, in my experience, there's been a disconnect between black Americans and Africans for as long as I can remember. And it's always seemed strange to me, but as I've gotten older, like I kind of understand it. And you explaining what your, your experience has been really um, illustrates it because I do think that there is a portion of time where we as black Americans didn't appreciate the, the connections of Africans that were right in front of us. And that in a, in a way we spent a lot of time trying to make our African friends other, like your other, we're Americans, your Africans. And as I've gotten older, I find it more and more important to have a better understanding of the entire diaspora. And Mm -hmm. I've been asking a lot of people about this, like just trying to understand it from a lot of different vantage points, because I I think there's so much value in it. And that's kind of what I got out of being there with your family, that there's so much I don't know about Ghana, like Mm -hmm. nothing, like almost nothing that I know about, about Ghanaian traditions and everything else. And it was, um, I felt super American, like super American at it. And it, it bothered me not to be American. Cause I'm, I'm proud yeah, of that. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. But, but I'm it, never... oh, sorry, go on. I felt like other, I felt like as close as we are, that was, I think, you know what? Now that, I, that now that I've really kind of talked it out, I think that's what it was. As close as we are, I've never felt further away from you than in yeah. that moment. And I think after I heard your um, podcast, there was like a moment of uh, realization on a couple of things. Like we spend so much time talking about like everything, right? Like the world and politics and sports and all of. We have these like great intense intellectual conversations about these things, but we've never actually done that to do about this, right? Um, and there really hasn't been um, a moment where like, outside of like the Ghana Fest that I could invite you to. And I think obviously the circumstances around my mother passing didn't, my, my head wasn't clear to kind of, I don't wanna say warn you, but just even make you aware of some of the things that were gonna happen, just even with that ceremony, right? That. Um, but there's also some things that about it that I didn't even know, right? And uh, I remember at one point, like getting angry with one of my aunts because I was like, "When are you guys going to tell us these things?" Because 
my sister and I weren't aware that like my dad couldn't touch anyone the whole weekend. We weren't aware that my dad couldn't go to the funeral burial site. Like to the moment we're getting ready to bury my mom and we're looking for my dad. And they're like, oh yeah, he can't come. What? Like nobody ever told us that. And it's like, oh yeah, it's Ashanti custom. And I'm like, so the whole month we've been planning this thing, no one thought to tell us that our dad would not physically be there when we put our mother into the ground. Okay, great, thank you. So trying to process that information, you know, on the fly was also difficult. Uh, but then my aunt said, there's some of that stuff too that you forget because you just don't do it often, you know? Mm. And I'm like, and I, and I get that. But when we were trying to plan my mom's cultural ceremonies while my dad was still in Ghana, you know, waiting to bring her body over, uh, my sister and I were struggling because there was so much that we did not know that we had to reach out to other people to help us with. Uh, so hearing you say that, there it, there was almost a moment of like kinship and like, yeah, bro, you're, you weren't alone. Um, but but there was also a moment of I failed you at, in that aspect of our friendship for not um, communicating uh, more about that. But also, I think you came into my life. Our friendship came, you know, um, shortly before my mom had the stroke. So um, my yeah, like days. Yeah. So like yeah, because it was about a cold wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, God, yeah, because uh, it was Father's Day weekend. I so it was. Um, so it's difficult. If my mom had been alert and present and well, I think you probably would have known more of our culture because she would have made you food and she would have, you know, invited you over and she would be telling you things like, because Freva is like in it, you know what I mean? She knows what to expect. She knows everything because she's gone to so many parties and events with me. Um, so I think because like I lost that like firsthand connection, you know, um, um, it wasn't as easy to pass on that information because I didn't know it all to pass on. Um, it was really, yeah. really strange too, because I also felt, I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt closer to you too. Mm-hmm. It was really weird because I, there was so much stuff. Like I felt, I felt needed. I felt like I was there. I felt present. And then I was like, you're also this light, bright yellow dude sitting in a room in these beautiful dark skinned people. Like I stood out like a sore thumb. No. Cause like my dad's side of the family isn't as dark as my mom's side. Right. And so like my aunt's going to be like a smidget shade um, darker than you, but not much. Like my dad is very light complexion. So you didn't stand out in that, but I could tell because I, I, your shoulders always bunch up when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so I could tell that you were slightly uncomfortable and then you know i just also was like so over it all at mm-hmm. that point yeah you were because it was just a very long day um it's been a long month leading up to it it was a long day and um everything wasn't starting i knew everything wasn't gonna pop off until 11 right and we're here at 6 30 7 o'clock and so it's just like this is just gonna be forever like you could ask tamra's been to a lot too she'll tell you um, so, so yeah, there was just a moment where I would look across, you know, from me, cause you were kind of almost sitting parallel to me. Um, and I would see you, you would smile or you would, you know, do your little shoulder shrug or you would text me something and we would just start laughing. And so, um, yeah, you definitely were very needed and comforted and like just seeing your mom, you know, present at the, at the, um, memorial was meant the world to me, you know? Um, so I think there, uh, if our friendship had ever been like 
if people had ever been unaware of our friendship, I think that moment like solidified how close we were to other people who may not have known, you know, because I'll have friends who are like, oh, I knew you and Lawrence were close, but I didn't know how close, he was talking about you on his radio show. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. You know, like no big deal, but like, that's my best friend. I don't think about you as being, you know, this um, celebrity um, until I go to Home Depot or the hospital. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Can't go anywhere with Lawrence and have him speak because someone's going to recognize your voice. It's really um, weird. But but exactly, and but see, like you you want to be on that side of things, right? Because you have a great voice, you have a great, you do such a great job of putting on an intellectual show that goes beyond sports. Anyone who I talk to, or anyone who finds out that I know you or that you're my best friend, um, that's all I talk about. I told you I went on that date, and this guy was like, just he's probably going to hear his podcast. Uh, was just all about you, like. And he was upset that you moved from nights to afternoon because he's like in meetings. So he wouldn't be able to hear your show. And, you know, and he just was asking a million questions about you. And I was like, do you want me to call him? Should I just put him on the phone? Like, do you want to go on a date with him? Um, but no, people respect the fact that, you know, your parents in particular were very adamant about you being a well-rounded individual and you have a passion for learning. And I think, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about when we, which is also why I wanted to physically be there, get together, is that we talk more, we talk about things that that other friends I don't think get in conversations about, you know? Um, so yeah, we'll talk about our lives and the things that matter to us, but then we also talk about like the world as a whole and you have a, a good idea of who I am as a person and I do the same for you. So I trust that you can make decisions on my behalf because you know how I'm going to respond and what I will what I stand for and what I don't, um, where there are very few people in my life who I think have that kind of power. Hmm. That's a hell of a compliment. I appreciate that. I want to go back to something you said, because I think it's about, it's valuable for young journos. I love the fact that your road to getting here isn't, well, she was working partly like what my road or what Ben's role road was where oh well you know we had the cool high school radio station that was 1500 watts and we had all this training and had our fcc licenses and we were 16 and ben goes to missouri of course because that's where journalists go to school or you go to syracuse or wherever i love that what your your road to this has been yeah i went to big college i didn't like it I ended up at a junior college because there are a lot of students that'll think, well, if I didn't go to Syracuse or Mizzou or Harvard or Princeton or wherever that they can't find themselves in this. And I try to convince people all the time that it kind of doesn't matter where you come from. Has that been your because, look, we know a ton of journalists that went to the schools that we rattled off, but we also know a bunch of journalists that didn't. Yeah. So how do we convince young journalists that there is no check the box road yeah. to this? Um, I tell people all the time, going to COD is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Because um, the trajectory of my career just went up by, based on the people I met, but also the friends I made. I'm still really good friends with a lot of people there. And it helped me acclimate into college life better, right? Um, I, I, I think the, the way... The way we do television and radio and print is so much different now than um, 
it ever was when we were coming up, right? And so there isn't um, as much of a need, I think, to have this pedigree now. But I think um, there might be some old school, you know, news directors or journalists who feel like you you do. Ultimately, it comes down to what lessons, how you take the lessons and how you apply them. But I also think it's about your passion and dedication. Uh, if you want something, if you truly want something, um, it happens. I, th I think the, the, if Kobe Bryant taught us anything, it's mentality, right, over opportunity. Um, like, I didn't know, Brandon was telling me this, that Steph Curry went to a really small school and that it was the NCAA tournament. You know, I don't watch till the final four and I only pay attention to Duke. Um, I didn't know that he went to this small school and it was the NCAA tournament that really opened people's eyes to him, right? And that he's this phenomenal shooter. Yeah, so he didn't go to Kentucky. He didn't go to, you know, Duke. So he wasn't that big name, but look at what he's accomplished as a result. So when your passion um, is there, nothing will stop you. So if you don't have the money to go to Mizzou or you don't have the grades um, or, you know, you can't get, or you didn't get in, that doesn't mean you're not going to be a journalist. I say people all the time, start a YouTube page, read the news on the YouTube page, grab a camera, go out, shoot a story, put it together, send it to someone, send it to me. Uh, my favorite thing to do is to go to career fairs and watch people's tapes. You know, I was at NABJ um, this past summer doing that. And uh, this one news director said to me like, oh, you're giving people like some real critiques. I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, you're spending like time with them. I said, well, what, why, why else would they be here? Like, what else are we doing, right? Why let this person leave not knowing what they need to do to be better? And I love the people who send me the clips to see if they've gotten better, right? Who follow up, who keep in touch because that's the passion. That's what I'm hiring for. I don't care if you went to Nebraska or College of DuPage. Uh, I'm taking uh, the chance on your passion because that is what will produce good content, right? Whether it's a, having the ability to want to be a storyteller to me is, is 10 times better than having a degree from Harvard because um, there are some things you can't teach, right? And, um, and, I, and in this role in particular as an executive producer, I'm learning that more and more that there are some people who very well may be passionate about the job um, but sometimes they're passionate about it for the wrong reasons. Mm. And so I have to ask them, why do you want to, why did you want to become a journalist? You know, and if their response is because they like entertainment or they, they love music or they want to do, if they don't tell me they want to tell stories, then I know they're not a journalist because it doesn't matter what iteration of you're doing, right? Whether you work for MTV or you work for ESPN or you work in news, you're giving people information about something. So how you take that content and mold it for the medium you're in, you know, depends on uh, how you want to package it and present it, but it shouldn't deter you from telling a story ultimately. So when people don't answer that question that way, I know that they're, they're in it because they want to be famous. You know, like I used to see people um, when I was younger, I remember seeing people on the streets of the city and being like, how'd they become homeless? I'm very curious to their story. And so like wanting to know that and to tell other people, this is how it happens. And I think um, now we get so bogged down by the pedigree and the pedigree doesn't mean anything because uh, as more like, uh, you know, big companies buy newsrooms or radio stations, 
and they start to package them in, uh, they're cutting jobs and more people are having to do more roles. Like, I'm sorry, less people are doing more roles. So uh, when I started out as a producer, I wasn't making graphics or cutting video. Um, by the time I left WGN, I was creating my own graphics. I was cutting video. I was writing my scripts. I'm doing the jobs of what three or four people used to do. So did Harvard prepare you for that? Or does the passion prepare you for that? Did Harvard give you the endurance for that? Or does the passion keep you coming back every day? You know, a lot of the people who leave the business, um, you know, they get tired, they get burnt out and it's understandable because what we do is very difficult and it's very demanding. Um, but sometimes their passion burns out. And if, if it runs out, it didn't matter that you went to Mizzou, right? Because you weren't in it for the long haul, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of my friends who left um, the business have led really great, happy lives. I could never see myself um, working a nine to five job and I could never see myself being a publicist um, because that's not storytelling. And that's ultimately what I wanted to do in some way is tell stories. I always ask people, do you want to be famous or do you want to be great? Yeah. And if they tell me they want to be great, then I know that they're in it. Like they're, they, they want to do the work. So you are great. You are too. It takes one great one to know another great one. I know. And if I just tell you, thank you. Like I know I gave you a lot of crap about making me wait to a hundred um, because I was with you and you came up with this idea um, and I helped you flush it out, um, helped you think of a name and um, you know, all that jazz. Um, but I, I am so incredibly proud of you because um, I, I almost feel like you motivate me sometimes. You have so many things that you're passionate about doing and you're always looking for a new way to challenge yourself. And so I have to keep up with you sometimes. I may not have as many jobs, but I look for ways to challenge myself because I need to have something to give you when we sit down and talk, like what my new update is. You're always, you're always creating something new, but no, I'm incredibly proud of you. Um, the way you've taken your passions and now that you're teaching, I know there's a new generation of, of, of young journalists who are going to come out really strong because they've had your leadership and um, that's crucial. You know, um, it's crucial to have a teacher and a friend who you can look up to. That's nice of you to say. Um, thanks for doing this. I'm glad that I'm glad that you're episode 100. Thank you. I'm glad that we negotiated your uh, your your demands and that you got to be since you weren't episode one that you would be episode 100. I'm still waiting for my 10 percent though. <laughs> well, we don't really make a ton of money on House of L. Whatever. We do have uh, a working budget though, which is nice. Listen, I appreciate that you chose to make. One bet, one time, and we're wrong. And that I never, ever have to pay for brunch again. See, this is America letting me down yet again. I should have gone with Ghana, and I didn't. Nobody in the right mind, (laughs) in a World Cup scenario, would go for the country that plays soccer every four years. USA! USA! I love the Chicago Fire. I'm joking. I know that people play soccer year-round here, but uh, overseas football is world-dominant. So you, as someone who isn't paying attention to the league, 
would not have known that the Black Stars were having a phenomenal year and were projected to win. So I took that bet and I wasn't sweating at all. Well, I don't so. keep a lot of jerseys, but I, 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 my Black Star kit, I keep very prominently in my closet. Thank you. Because uh, you gave Thank it you. to me and I, I do have to pay for brunch all the time. Um, I don't ordinarily say this at the end of an episode, but I love you. I love you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it. And I'm so sorry. I know that this was probably a lot longer than you anticipated. So good luck editing it. Strangely, it's not getting edited. Uh, strangely oh, enough, is actually sh- a little shorter than I expected it to be. But I'm making it such because there's so many directions that we could go on this but i'm making it shorter because i know that you have hella work to do and i don't want to deprive the fans of the jam i listen i told my team that i was not available after three o'clock i'm trying to do better job though can i just say this before we go um of work-life balance right which doesn't exist exist um i uh i think it uh you know my mom passed away i started i started a new job my mom passes away uh my network flips i get a new team um, we have like just a crazy November, uh, and now we're in the coronavirus. <laughs> Kobe Bryant dies, like all this, like World War Three is starting. Um, the last year and three months have been incredibly challenging for me professionally and personally. And I had this like really strange epiphany because I was just very angry, right, and frustrated, and and trying to figure out, because again, as I mentioned earlier, God doesn't ever put me in a position to fail, but all I felt like I was doing was failing, um, that I had to take a step back and realize um, how important it is to give yourself space and grace, right? And Mm. to take time to do things that bring you joy. And I know that sounds really kind of like Marie Kondo, but it is important. And, you know, when I listened to the Paula Ferris episode, I was just enamored that she you know, listen to the signs of her body, of her mind, of her family, and that she works for a company that respected that. And I also thought she probably didn't really give them a choice, right? And all too often, we're so quick to cowtail, right? And to say, okay, well, this is what they want from me, so I'm going to do it, instead of pushing back a little bit and carving out space for yourself. And my bosses are really good about reminding me to do that because they know that I love what I do so much and they know when I'm sending emails at two in the morning on a Saturday or, you know, 10 PM on a Wednesday that I'm working too much. Um, But because I think of these crazy ideas all the time, I I need to get it out. Right. And I don't think about the time. So I had to learn and I had to be very intentional about carving space out for myself, for my friends and not canceling um, and allowing myself to have joy in my life. So this um, is my joyous time now, right? I'm done. I'm done working. My team knows, like, if you need something, I'm here. But if we were in studio, we wouldn't be talking at 4.25 p.m., right? So just because we're at home, I don't want you to do that either. I'm about to go to the grocery store, re-up on some supplies in case Lori's like, y'all ain't leaving your houses for the next three weeks or whatever. Um, But I, I wanted to make sure that I protected this time. I told anyone who asked me for a meeting after three that I wasn't available. Uh, I didn't say, okay, I can do something at 4.30 or I can do something at five. I said, I'm not available the rest of the day. So can we talk about it tomorrow? If nobody's going to die, talk about it tomorrow. I tell my team every day, the beautiful thing about what we do 
so that we get to get we get to do it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So what mistakes we learned today, we have another opportunity to do it better tomorrow. So every day I have a better opportunity, I have another opportunity rather, to give myself more joy and to live uh, in that purpose and to strengthen my relationship with Christ, to strengthen my relationship with friends and to be a better sister, to be a better aunt, uh, just be a better human. So, um, you know, you want to talk for another two hours. I got you, girl, I'm here. No, I, I, I have other stuff that I need to do because I have a whole bunch of other jobs as per well, usual. And if you need the tip, if you need a tip, uh, I don't know how packed your grocery stores are. Oh, they're going to be out of control. I was supposed to go earlier. Okay. Um, then I allow your best friend to help you out in this regard. So there is a grocery store across the street from Prudential Plaza mm -hmm. called Bockwinkles. What? Yeah. It's like a it Bockwinkles. No. What's the name? Bockwinkles? Yeah. And once this gets out on the podcast in a couple of weeks, like, <laughs> like just like your bat cave. Yes. And, and I was telling the truth about the bat cave, right? Like you saw the bat cave up close. You're like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But then you also told me not to tell anybody else. Then you got mad when I did. Now you're telling thousands of people. Well, yes. But by the time that this runs, it won't preclude you from going to the store right now. Okay. So listen. Across the street on Stetson Avenue from Prudential Plaza, from the Score Studios, there's a place called Bockwinkles. It's amazing. It's like, um, I would say it's like um, almost European style place, but they have everything in there. And because it's a downtown grocery store, no one goes to it. So I've been doing my shopping there. And I've gotten in and out in less than 10 minutes every single time. I'm telling you, it is worth you traveling from your place to you will save time by I just going there. I have one question for you. Sure. When have you ever heard me say I'm cooking something right now? I've never heard that. That's not the point. The point. Yeah, but they have pre-packaged food there yes like, they have yeah. what i'm telling you is they have everything there and it's fully stocked so i've actually gone to the grocery store twice in, how come you haven't asked me if i needed anything then because i figured that you were taken care of and i thought for sure i texted you to tell you because i feel like i told everyone i love like herbie's going there tonight like his girlfriend's picking him up and they gonna go shopping i told my brother i told my mother that it is worth it to drive from the suburbs. Yeah, no. Yeah, but the well. Sometimes she would spend in the car, Lauren. She could have been in and out of the grocery store. But now that they've changed the rules for the older people, she's quite okay with. Oh, her mom is like killing it. I might actually send her in my grocery list. Yeah, she, but I'm look. Trust me, I'm. Okay, okay. I've gone shopping there twice, and it's okay. been it's been a total of thirty minutes to get everything I need for the next few weeks. Well, I will track the, I'll check the ways. If the traffic isn't bad, I probably still won't go. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm here to save you aggravation. They have pre-made stuff. I appreciate that. They All have I'm like, about to do is get some roasted chicken and. This um, is what I'm, they had, I got their rotisserie chicken yesterday. Is it good? Yes. Braxton, my brother. Buckwinkles. Bockwinkles, B-O-C-K-W-I-N-K-L-E apostrophe S. I'm about to check Yelp. If Yelp gives it a good review, I'll go. It's really good. 
so it was Braxton's like favorite thing with the uh, the rotisserie chicken. And I said, oh, okay. So I went back and got it, and it was easy. They had toilet paper. They had cleaning supplies. Oh, it's on the other side of NBC, right? Is NBC it, on the other side? Well, NBC's on the other side of the river. But I, I mean, like, if you here's all you need to do. If you come up Lake Street until you can't take Lake Street anymore and you turn left, it's right there on the corner. And it, I'm, I'm telling you, it's worth it. It looks like a, like, you know, what's the store that closed in Hyde Park? Treasure Island. Treasure Expensive. It yes. looks like a Treasure Expensive. <laughs> it's definitely, you're spending your treasure. But I will tell you that it is all worth it. Um, It's whatever. I, it's, I know, I've, I've it's seen fine. it. I, I'm looking now. I'm looking now. I've seen it. I think there's one by actually by um, where Tamara lives. Oh, if there is, I know that, I think Channel 5 did a story on them being like one of the best grocery stores to go to during this but oh, really? i i walked in on monday mm-hmm. no one in there i had the whole but store I'm to my here. it was right after my show two o'clock walked in there like just because i wasn't even sure if it was open and so i was looking out from the studio and i was like is bockwinkles open and i walked in there and walked out with three bags wow just a thought yeah. just a little tip from me to I you appreciate it I appreciate it. There's a lot of good reviews on the Yelp. Good. Um, you know, I live off the Yelp. So um, I appreciate the tip. If I don't check it out today, I'll, call, I'll go tomorrow. I have not left my house except for to vote because um, I just let the dog out. So um, I need to like actually venture out. This would be a great adventure. And they're open until nine, I believe. On the, on the Yelp, it says midnight unless they change. I think they changed six. it to nine. Okay. But just, Do they sell alcohol? Yes. They have an extensive alcohol selection. Yeah, I need to re-up. <laughs> I started watching The Wire again. So oh, dear God. Oh, best show ever. did you see uh, Did you see Roki's Insta story? No, I don't follow. You need to follow her because apparently she went to high school with one of the dudes that was on The Wire. Oh, and she was saying how she was at his Sweet 16 party and didn't realize she was hanging out with the cast of The Wire. Oh, wow. Did you see when, uh, I almost called him Stringerville, when Idris Elba said, oh, gosh, I had the coronavirus. And I was like, damn, they got Stringer again. They got you know, Stringer but, again. Oh, man. That is the greatest show ever made. Um, okay. What, what? What is the greatest show ever made, Lawrence Holmes? I mean, it's it's up there. <laughs> I'm waiting. What's your number one? I say Breaking Bad. I'm gonna stab you. Breaking Bad is. Oh my god! Was, oh my god! That's the wife. Oh my. Yeah, god. Yeah, I'm with you on the wife. Like she's very annoying, and honestly, like I will say that now that I'm I'm really into Better Call Saul, Better Call Saul might be better. He is a good character. I will I will give him that. I like Bob Odenkirk too as a person. Met him a couple times at GN. Really nice guy. Um. But Jesse, I couldn't stand. And then real quick, before I let you go, did you see El Camino? Yeah, I loved El Camino. Okay, is it supposed to happen like literally like after the yes, last episode? Yes, correct. How come they did not explain the fact how Todd got so big? That bothered me. Yes, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that eating everybody. They're not going <laughs> to mention the fact that. And then like Todd is like such a gangster just randomly killing the. Oh, sorry. For Don't anyone. spoil it Spoilers. for people. But I'm like. They were acting like it was right after, but 
also not acknowledging that like time had literally passed. Well, it was we're I looking mean, old. They were looking a little um they were looking 10 years old, not you know, 24 hours old. Maybe uh, a little a little thicker, a little thicker. It was bothering me. I just wish they would have made it like a year or two or just something um to explain how because Todd is like such a big wig. He wasn't that big of a big of a you know of a man in the totem pole. I know, I know. But he's such a great actor. He's so menacing in such yeah, a sweet way. I I I I and I, I won't say I enjoyed it, but I um I watched it. Um did you watch did you watch The Witcher? I'm like obsessed. The Witcher, what's that? Uh it's it was it's a video game that they turned into a Netflix with um Henry Cavill and um no one else is famous in it. Uh, you have to watch it. It's on Netflix. It's so good. All right, I'm writing it down. I got stuff to watch. I'm finally finishing Mr. Robot, which I'm very oh, excited about. The actual series, I'm like two seasons behind. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. season four is amazing. Like it's really amazing, and, and Rami Malek is. I saw notes about like like headlines about how this was probably one of the best series finales, but I just didn't watch it because I knew I was behind. I got two oh. two episodes left. Like so I got the part one and part two of the finale. I'm gonna do that tonight. Okay. After I make dinner. Oh, what are you making? I think I'm gonna make steak. I think I'm gonna Oh yeah, this is why I was gonna come because I wanted to eat dinner. Well you and could I... have. Well no because I'm trying to put a two hour television show on TV in fifteen minutes. This is what I'm saying. All right. I'm gonna hang up now. You're gonna go to Bachwinkles. Oh no, because we can't do it. It didn't work. What? What doesn't oh, work? Our, no, I, I won't. It won't. I won't be live tomorrow. The testing didn't work. We have to figure out what's wrong. And again, I told them I'm not free after three. So yeah, I'm about but to go right now. Let's hop on in my car. I might go to Bachwinkles or I might go to Mariano's. I don't know. All right. Uh, but I love you very much, my best friend. I love you uh, too. Give my love to everyone, and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, I'm hoping that we can actually see each other in person very soon. Because yeah. uh, that would be good. Although, I mean, I guess technically, we, we could, could, we could, I could make you breakfast. I could or make you, you could like come over for lunch. You've actually never hung out in my apartment. That's not true for your birthday party. Oh, uh, yeah, but okay. How long have I lived here? <laughs> You've lived here a long time. Okay, because I've been to your place. Not that, not as many as you're trying to make <laughs> it seem like. But more than you've been to mine. So, and I don't even think you came inside. I think you just hung out in the backyard. No, so, I hung out inside for a little while. I really liked it. Whatever. You see, it's completely different. Right? Yeah. I mean, your decorating prowess is. Uh, I think I'm done, though. For you're, real. No, you're not. Cause yeah, no, I am because I really like it. I like it, too. But you're a maniac. So, I mean, I expect there to be a whole mm -hmm. series of you on Instagram uh, like, oh, now I'm going to change this wall to look like this. You got this on record, boo. Pull up the receipts later. I, I'm done. This is it. All right. Well, we are recording, so I'm going to have this forever. Oh, whatever. It's fine. Come at me, bro. All right. I'm going to come at you. And then guess who brunch you're going to be paying for brunch? You. Uh, no. you can't you can't you can't flip the script on that no vaccines no you were so confident you said you're the one that actually said brunch for life not me i asked you several times if you were sure so damn that usa soccer team hmm. you know i got a memory that's sharp and long my friend it's true all right i'll talk right. to you later be good bye -bye. all right bye bye so that's fee and you can tell you know why we get along so well and yeah Shame on USA Soccer, man. Y'all cost me brunch for life. I have to pay for brunch forever.
because of that. Because the U.S. men's team couldn't beat Ghana. <sighs> Shout out to the Black Stars, man. Shout out to them. So, yeah, that's her. She's dope. Um, I don't know if we even talked about it, but, like, when I got married, I didn't have a best man. I had a best woman, and it was Afia. So she stood up in the ceremony wearing a tux standing right next to me, looking better in her tux than I looked in my tux, which I don't think is a thing, but it turned out that way. Uh, she's beloved in, in this household, so... I'm happy that she had the time and we were able to kind of walk through a bunch of stuff. Let me just say that I'm actually the the one thing that's happened with all of us spending more time at home and trying to do the social distancing thing. It's allowed me to think about being a little bit more creative when it comes to doing the podcast. And I'll tell you that more people have time on their hands. so I've been able to to get to some people that I've been dying to get to. On this podcast and you will hear from those people over the next couple of weeks we got four or five shows already in the can and they are phenomenal but what I think I'm going to do with one show in particular because I was recording video along with the audio I think I'm going to start a YouTube page for this podcast and since I'm doing a lot of this stuff on zoom I can take the video and put it up there. Not Afia's, because clearly, if you go back to the beginning of the episodes, you're telling you she didn't do her hair and hadn't done her makeup, so I'm not going to do that to her. But there was one person, a big, big name, that was aware that I was recording video, and I think I'm going to share that episode. I'm going to create a YouTube page for it and see where things go. Thanks to you for listening, by the way. I appreciate that this this venture that I've gone on with this podcast and doing this podcast, and I, I did it for a number of reasons. One was experimental. I wanted to try it out. I wanted to try my hand in, in the podcast game. Another one was House of L is a, a, a fail-safe for me. At the time that I started this podcast, I was thinking about whether or not I was going to return to the score. And I wanted to have a place. I knew that I'd be doing something media wise, even if I didn't go to the score, but I wanted to have a place where I could just kind of talk about what I want to talk about. I wanted to have that space just in case I decided to walk away from the score or the score decided to walk away from me. So now that I have this platform, it's very cool to know that no matter what, I have this. That That's a, a, a great peace of mind to have. Another reason I did it is for my students. When I can point to people inside the industry that a lot of my students want to be in and say, this is how they do things and this is why. And reaching out to a lot of people that I've run across in the business over the last few weeks, getting prepared for my class at DePaul that, that starts up the week that this episode drops, getting their opinion on how to squire students the right way into this stuff is, is really inspiring. So hearing all of these stories is great. 
And what I'm finding out, and what's been cool this past week of doing the show on the radio, I like that there's an archive of this stuff, that I know where stuff is. I have all of the episodes. So if I have something great and I want to share it with the score audience, I can do that. So all of those things is so weird, like how all of these things have kind of coagulated together since we're all stuck inside. But I want to thank you for sticking with this because I know that from an audio standpoint, first few episodes were a little rough as I was figuring stuff out. But I'm glad I did. Oh, another shout out. I want to shout out my professors at the University of Alabama. Because they were also really encouraging. And this happened. The brainchild of it came out of my entrepreneurial journalism class that I had with Professor Wilson Lowry. He and Dr. Roberts were instrumental in helping me. And Dr. Lowry's like, yeah, man, just instead of doing a project on this, why don't you just create? an actual podcast. That place has been more helpful to me than even I imagined. You see me with my Bama stuff on and my Roll Tide stuff. It's not It's not that much about the football team. It I mean it is, but it's not. It's about it's about the educational experience that I had there and how it literally is preparing me for the future of this industry. As weird as it sounds. Even putting my class together this spring I had never done a class that's been online I've been there with the students that's kind of the gig and I used a lot of lessons that I learned taking my classes online at Bama to put together my class for DePaul and I actually think that it turned out pretty well we'll find out from the students if they they agree and then I'll tweak and but these are unprecedented times and when it comes to education but the reason that I sound like a commercial for the University of Alabama is because I got something significant out of it. Not just my master's degree, but I got some ideas popping and I, I got some of the training that I needed and the kick in the butt that I needed to do some of this. So big thank you to the folks down in Tuscaloosa who helped me out in that regard. So that's it. We're on to episode 101. Do yourself a favor and scroll through. There are some people that we've had on this podcast that you're like, man, I'd love to have someone on it. They might have already been on there. Big thanks to Fia for being available. Thanks to you for listening and consuming my podcast. I appreciate you. I truly do. See you at episode 101. Hey!